I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode of 12-Pack Radio is made possible by Nextiva, the official communications partner of the Pac-12, and the best business phone service is chosen by U.S. News and World Report. Nextiva helps companies all over Pac-12 countries stay connected with customers and coworkers using one easy-to-use app. Get Nextiva for your business and get business phone service, video conferencing, team chat, call reporting, and more, all for the fraction of what you would pay for those services separately. Make great calls every day. Visit nextiva.com forward slash 12 pack that's n-e-x-t-i-v-a dot com forward slash 12 pack to get started oh, don't you dare be sour clap for your world famous two-time champs and feel the power it's a new game yes it is for 12 pack radio get excited y'all Welcome back, everyone, to Toll Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, the home of the beta-ranked college football statistical model, and the home of the returning Max Meyer of the world's largest sports book, William Hill. I'm Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. We are doing our week one preview. We have made it. And if you are listening right now, we have a whole week of information for you coming. We have the Oregon and Utah preview with Hifliday. We have a new podcast we're excited to announce with a, with a special guest. More on that later, but we're going to have three episodes for you. And this episode is breaking down week one. We're talking real games, Rob. We're talking real games. What's going on? How are you? This is great. I mean, I, I, I talk, uh, I've talked everything but Pac-12, it feels like, and uh, we're finally here. We did. We made it. And back to celebrate this conference is our friend Max Meyer at William Hill. The uh, uh, And just, Max, I have so many questions for you. I'm going to try to keep most of them for the Pac-12. But you're coming off of what must be just a great surge in, um, you know, we were talking about ping pong the last time you were on this podcast. And we're in a full-throated NBA. Uh, it just ended. We just had the World Series and the NFL is still going. We have college football and we finally have the Pac-12. We thought maybe this would happen in in the spring and we got it early how are you sir no I, i've been good it's it's definitely been hectic it's just been like sports nirvana and there's big there's you know uh, huge events every single day it feels like and it, it just it feels good though that pac-12 is back you know late night even early morning pac-12 for those out on the west coast it, it's i'm excited for the season to start um a couple more things to announce if you haven't joined our Pac-12 Survivor Pool, definitely do so. The way that you do that is just retweet this podcast and we'll enter you into our Pac-12 Survivor Pool. All you do is pick one Pac-12 team a week to win. If they win, you move on. If they lose, you are out and you can only pick each Pac-12 team once and there's only like seven games so you you can like, you know, you don't have to pick UCLA this year. Um, the winner's going to get some sweet, sweet Etsy swag and of course all of our uh, hosts are going to play along. If we win, if we beat you, no prize will give out, uh, be given out but if you 
beat us and go through the champions, you uh, will get some sweet prizes. So retweet this podcast. I will send you the link to the survivor pool, which is on sharpcollegefootball.com. And there's also a password. So to enter your picks every week, go to sharpcollegefootball.com and just use the same password. And we will continue that. Very fun. It's something that we really like doing. And we're also going to continue doing our uh, picks against the spread with uh, this podcast and some of our partners. So looking forward to that. Let's get into this. There, there's a lot that we can talk about. Obviously, we're going to go through every game. There's six of them. But uh, let's let's just open by talking some Pac-12. Get those juices flowing here. Uh, Max, what are you looking forward most to um, as the season starts? What's the, what are some of the storylines that you're going to keep an eye on? Um, I mean, for me, just seeing, uh, I, I think, Joe Moorhead taking over as offensive coordinator at Oregon. And, and just because of all the talent that Oregon's lost, just seeing if the Ducks, just be, I, I mean, before all the defections, I had Oregon as the as the slight favorite over USC to win the Pac-12, and I, I still think this is the best coaching staff in the conference. And just seeing how this coaching staff can adjust to all those key departures. Rob, that makes a lot of sense to me. Looking forward to seeing what happens on that offensive side of the ball. We again are going to release our Oregon preview with Hithliday this week, so stay tuned for that full breakdown of that team, position by position. Um, what what are you looking forward to? What are some storylines that are going to pop up in your mind? I'm excited to to see some of the you know the the new face or you know not necessarily new faces but you know the the, the Pac-12 had three pretty good freshman quarterbacks last year. Um, I'm excited to see them all play uh, again, you know, and get to see you know Slovis and and Daniels and uh, Gannell play uh, in particular. And then um, you know I'm also excited. Like oddly enough, the the Texas defense has been horrendous under with with Chris Ash. Uh, I'm actually kind of excited to see what Todd Orlando brings to USC. Maybe a little a little bit more hopeful for that, given how bad Texas's defense has been um, with the new staff. I took Texas plus three and a half this past week, and to watch that defense just. <laughs> just roll over on their struggle bus. It, it was really something. When I know there was a lot of turnovers, but minus the turnovers with that quarterback, like, man, they, they just allowed a, a number of yards. They were out of position and stuff. So yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what happens in uh, Southern California with Todd Orlando there. For me, it's whether or not a couple of the teams that have, that I think a lot of people think are on the cusp and possibly could be on the cusp, whether they can break through. Like if you're going to do it, this is going to be the year teams like ASU who in the South, uh, you know, are going to contend with USC. Are they going to be able to get over that hump? Cal, a lot of people are high on. We, we think Cal's going to be pretty good. Um, if they're able to live up to the the hype that they had coming into this season, um, this would be a year where they can come up and try to jump somebody. Uh, we'll find out. I'm not certain if that will happen, but I'm really excited to see if it does. Um, and then kind of like on the, on the lower level of teams, can Colorado and Oregon State jump up and, and make some noise? Oregon State almost made a bowl last year, and Colorado has some interesting pieces back. So whether or not they're going to be able to, uh, to get out of that um, lower tier and jump up to the middle tier will be interesting on my end. Max, let's talk about a couple more big picture things. Let's talk about overrated and underrated teams here. Who are some teams you think are coming into this season overrated and uh, and some that are underrated in the Pac-12? Uh, overrated Cal. Uh, I mean, everyone's just looking at the returning production on the offensive side. And I mean, Chase Garbers definitely did impress. And I'm, I'm a fan of Christopher Brown. But I think the the offensive line podcast with Hitler Day definitely illuminated uh, just how I, I – like how much of an impact returning all five offensive linemen can be, especially if that unit wasn't really anything special this past season. But also I just think with Cal, they, the guy who's calling defensive plays is one of the worst defensive coordinators in the country and Peter Sermon. And I think going from Justin Wilcox to Sermon 
is a huge, huge downgrade that no one is talking about. And even having uh, Marcel Yates as a defensive backs coach, it just seems like that the defensive staff is lacking and the defensive talent on, on Cal, I mean, their secondary has been outstanding the past few years, but they lost a lot of those pieces. And the run defense last year really wasn't anything particularly special, and that was even with Evan Weaver. And so I, I just think that everyone's been so impressed with Justin Wilcox, and he has done a nice job. But I just think that they could really fall off if the offense doesn't take a huge leap this year. Yeah, the switch. Uh, oh, sorry, the switch over from Deruder. One of the things that I should highlight is like the biggest feedback we've gotten is from Cal fans, and, um, <laughs> and I was going to say Max. Max hasn't been able to chime in with like all the points we made. So like, apologies, Cal fans, but like there it is again. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing your team. Um, I know there were some injuries on the offensive line last year. I'm very aware of that. Hope hope that Cal can really rise above above. And our our friends at Right for Cal who've been very supportive throughout the process. Um, I, I'm still standing by the things that we said but, but very much looking forward to that go ahead max i apologize but yeah there's been a we, we've had some, some significant pushback from our friends in berkeley gotcha uh underrated i'm, I'm kind of i'm i'm in a bit of a toss-up just because i know uh i just i don't want to fall into that trap again with or i should say again because last year i was i was fading them uh, pre, uh pretty often in stanford but i just i with stanford their offensive talent is i, I think exciting it's just all the uh, all the uh, people that tra- are all the players that transferred this offseason, especially on the defensive side, that worries me a bit. Uh, for me, honestly, and I don't mean to tickle your guys' fancy, but for me, it honestly might be Arizona, just because I think that Grant Gannell is more of a fit for Kevin Sumlin's system than Khalil Tate was. And I mean, Arizona, I mean, th- there's definitely some uh, gaping holes with that team, but. I am high on Gunnell. I, I think that the offense can keep things competitive. And I, I even if Paul, Ro- I mean, Paul Rhodes, uh, former Iowa State head coach, I mean, he, he hasn't been, I, I guess, on the national landscape for a few years, but I still think that he's an upgrade over Marcel Yates. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there in Tucson. Um, Rob, some overrated and underrated for you heading into the season. I mean, I still think, I mean, I, I think people are overrating ASU a little bit coming into the year. Um, I think people are overrating where that offense was last year. They graded out 89 in beta rank uh, at the end of the year last year. Like the, I don't, and I don't think they're talking enough about the defense, which is pretty good uh, and projects to be pretty good. Um, so yeah, I, I I think the the step to become a good offense that ASU has to make is actually huge. Um, so I think people are overrating them a bit there. I mean, I honestly, I also think UCLA seems to be overrated, like in, in win totals. And I mean, UCLA opens as a six-point favorite over Colorado on the road. <laughs> yeah, like we'll I, get to that. Holy lord! <laughs> well, I mean, they didn't open like that was the circle line today, so that wasn't like the opening line. But I was like, whoa, because uh, the the circle lines today were interesting too, because they were updated from some line. I mean, different than some lines that had come out earlier. Um, so I, I was a little surprised to see that um, underrated. I. Oregon State might be a little underrated uh, coming into this year. Uh, you know, just they have lost a ton of talent. I like the coaching staff. I think that's going to offset some of it. I, I mean, I agree with Max on Arizona, you know, that I, I think they're like, I think U.S. I, I think oddly enough, because I think people, people have put Clay Helton in a box and are not willing to go back and do any reevaluation. Like, I think USC might be a little underrated, even though they are the, you know sort of the clear favorite in the South. Yeah, that's interesting. On my end, it's UCLA and Washington State I have as overrated. Underrated Arizona, and I, I, I would say Colorado early. 
because I think a healthy Colorado is, is going to be a little bit better than uh, I had anticipated. But I do think any injuries on that team, a knock on wood that it doesn't happen. Um, but I think that is a significant setback, although that quarterback will find out what happens there. Uh, we have some quarterback news come in. And one more thing before we start. Uh, William Hill, just because Max has been on the show, is going to be our official line provider. So we're going to cite William Hill's lines. Obviously, there are other ones out there. But um, again, largest sports book in, in the world. So we're going to pull those lines as we go through. And let's start. We're, we're going to get in right into our uh, six previews of, of week one. We're going to do it right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Pac-12 gambling lines? Nice. You want it? Baby, just bust a move. Okay. All right, we're back. Talking real games. Our first game of the week. Noon on Real Fox, the big fox, Simpsons Fox. We got Arizona State is a 10 and a half point dog on the road at USC. Rob, we're going to... and. and if you've listened to the show, like we, we go through Rob's numbers, we do we do breakdowns and position by position. Let's do this a little bit differently this year, Rob. Let's go with like basic numbers to start. You know, where each team in your your beta rank advanced statistical model are, and maybe the line and the win probability. And then as we go and we we do the matchups between offense and defense, let's dig a little bit more into those beta rank numbers. So uh, what what is uh where is Arizona preseason preseason? I guess like I'm using air quotes. Uh, and where is you? USC, what's the line and what's the win probability here? So right now, uh, USC comes at a 25 in beta rank uh, and Arizona State comes at a 37. You know, the win probability is USC 72% and roughly, a, you know, a 7.01 a uh, spread favorite for, for USC there. Um, I would say, you know, I, I think the projection model is underrating USC a little bit. Um, and so I, I'm not I'm not actually that. Like you know, this three-point gap between where Beta Rank has it, I actually think uh, I would I would put it you know Vegas and the those odds makers have it a little more right. Okay, Max, initial thoughts on this game? I think it's fascinating. Whoa, man, they really loaded us up on really one of the most intriguing matchups I think of the year, and it's the first game on national TV and and like kind of prime time, right? It's nine o'clock uh, on the Pacific, or is it, is it noon uh, Eastern? Yeah, noon Eastern. Oh, noon right. Eastern prime time. Oh, holy Moses. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's Slovis versus Daniels. I mean, two two of the most promising, if not uh, perceived, the best Pac-12 quarterbacks nationally. Um, and really, like this game, whoever whoever takes this one is going to be viewed as the favorite in the Pac-12 South. Rob, let's go on the ASU's offensive side against USC's defense. Um, what are the numbers here? How do they match up? And then let's kind of dig into them and discuss like what, what we're looking for. Cause I think there's some interesting unit matchups here that I'm just dying to see on the field. Yeah. I mean, both of these units, I mean, th- this in particular, if you were going to talk about the units that really struggled for these teams, it's the ASU offense against, uh, USC's defense, uh, coming in. So Arizona state's offense only projects at number 62 overall. 
um, coming into the year. That's a big improvement over where we talked about them last year at number 89. Um, USC's defense uh, only projects to be at 45, right? I mean, it doesn't, I mean, we don't see the coordinator changes for either team in the projection model here. Um, but at USC's defense in particular, I mean, given all, I mean, all of the talent that they have in, and some of it has a lot more experience than some of the very young guys at Arizona state, um, you know, for them to be projecting at 18, this is where I think that the projection model really might be a little off for USC. Uh, Max world's your oyster on this. I think there's so many different areas and like that we can kind of look under the rock and, and see what's going on. Um, what, what are you looking for? What do you think there, is there an edge anywhere here? Uh, like where would you get the advantage to, to which teams when it comes to the, the Sun Devil offense against the Trojan defense? I don't know, like for me, just because of how, uh, especially early in the year when, when Arizona state had all those injuries along the offensive line, like Arizona state's offensive, play, offensive line play, like scarred me from last season. <laughs> And, and to, I mean, USC, like, they have some really, really strong uh, players on the defensive line, whether it's Drake Jackson or, or J.G. Billett. Like, they definitely have some dudes. But I get, like, Arizona State, even with those offensive line deficiencies, they went up against some, like, whether it was a Michigan State or an Oregon, and, and they went up against those teams that have strong defensive fronts, and they still were able to out-scheme them. Oh, but for me, like Arizona State, it's so interesting uh, just with all their new coaching additions at USC. I mean, it has Todd Orlando as the new defensive coordinator. And so I think first game, just seeing all these players, I mean, adjust uh, to their new coaches and, and new schemes, I think is going to be fascinating. Um, I feel like for me, especially early on and, and during this college football season of uncertainty, I'm just I'm going to lean toward the dog especially a dog getting as many points as Arizona State is getting a lot of the time. And uh, USC, uh, so much talent, uh, best quarterback by far in the conference. But I, I just, it, 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 it takes, it would take a lot for me to lay double digits with the Clay Helton team, even though I do think Arizona State is slightly overrated heading into this season. But I'm going to take the points here. Yeah, I'm leaning there. When I look at the ASU offense here, right, if, if you're a Sun Devil fan, right, this is this is the come to Jesus moment. Are those wide receivers good? They're going to go up against an excellent secondary in USC. I mean, one of the best secondaries in the in the conference. Um, and is Jaden Daniels going to be able to throw down the field? I think this defense is going to be strong enough in uh, in the secondary to be able to really try to hold an okay offense at bay, unless you're Oregon or um, yeah, pretty much just Oregon in the conference at this point. So if ASU is able to throw the ball, you have so much to be excited for, and I think it really will kind of set the tone for what we can expect from ASU. When and I always like doing the matchups, right? Like ASU's run game against um, USC's. Uh, front seven like is there an advantage there like USC's front seven Robin was uh, Rob wasn't that good last year it, it was interesting there's some pieces on there um, but it's not like ASU had a great offensive line and they and of course they replace you know Benjamin so like I think that kind of washes out so I don't see any any big significant gain there in fact if I'm looking at both of these uh, these unit matchups I think the advantage goes to USC is that fair yeah uh, I I Absolutely. I mean, I, I think one of the biggest problems that you have coming into this game, um, if you're ASU, is, is and we you've mentioned it, right? I mean, I think that they're high on some of the, the I think a lot of fans are high on the, like the fact that they have some grad transfers in from some other Power 5 programs. Uh, but those guys didn't even play, you know, at Stanford or A&M. Um, I mean, the, the offensive line was atrocious last year. That's a big question. 
Um, they didn't throw the ball down the field last year, partly because of Daniels um, having some accuracy issues down the field, but also because like you really couldn't trust the offensive line to keep them upright <laughs> to make a lot of downfield throws. How does that change with Ayuk gone, um, who was a yards after catch monster for them uh, offensively? Like I, I think a lot of people, there is a mirage. I mean, we talked about this in previewing them. There is a mirage of this ASU offense from everyone that watched the Oregon game and didn't watch a lot of other ASU tape over the year. Um, you know, that they were, you know, an explosive offense that took, you know, a lot of shots downfield. Um, they really were not. <laughs> so like I, like, they, and, and Dan, like, I mean, like, I think people have a lot of an impression of Daniels as a passer from that game too. When, if you look at it, like, I mean, just an overwhelming number of the guys throws were right around the line of scrimmage. Um, so what does that look like? Because USC is absolutely, I, and the questions at USC are because they struggled. They were at 71 in effective rush last year already in their front seven. Um, with J2 Fele opting out, you know, and we talked about, I mean, is there anyone that can play two gap in this three-man scheme? You know, I do like, you know, there's going to be a, you know, there's going to be a stud in there, you know, like, uh, you know, that that is going to rush the passer. Um, I like the secondary. I love, I mean, we've talked about, like, I love the linebacker talent, which should be maturing, you know, this season because they had that incredible haul at linebacker two years ago. You know, there's, there's a lot to like, it just does, it does come to me down a little bit on, um, you know, exactly, you know, does ASU's retooled offensive line um, work with this, you know, sort of retooled, you know, USC up front. And there's also the question, I mean, this is the two, I mean, ASU has two new coordinators, but this is the two new coordinators too. I mean, we've talked a lot about Orlando. Zach Hill brings in a far more complex system, that Boise, you know, Eastern Washington system, the, you know, that multiple system that they run. Uh, you know, ASU has a lot of strength and, you know, they're, they're very young wide receivers that they just recruited in. Um, but they might, I mean, Hill ran a lot of two tight end sets at Boise. I mean, what is this I mean, really truly like, what does this end up looking like? Right. I mean, if they're not able to run the ball effectively, if that offensive line still stinks, what is Hill able to dial up? Um, you know, and are they able to dial up enough with a Yukon? That's, I mean, I, I do give AS or USC's defense the nod here, as long as they don't give up like sloppy big plays, like the kind, I mean, like, or just inexplicable, like, you know, the kind that Oregon gave up in that game, <laughs> you know, like the Oregon's defense didn't give up big plays all season. ASU's offense didn't put them up all season. And then all of a sudden in that game, <laughs> they happen. Like, does that like, you know, th that of course could throw it all off, but you know, other than like ASU really getting some really good field position, like I think that they might struggle to put up some points in this game. Like, I think this could be a tough one. Yeah, that was the question I had for Max, and I'll ask it at the end. Um, but let's flip over to the USC attack versus the ASU defense. Oh, I, was say, mm -hmm. I was just quick, like one other note. Um, I do think the fact, though, that USC hasn't faced Jaden Daniels yet just because it was Joey Yellen who was there. Oh, yeah. Uh, when they when the, these two teams play each other last year, so I actually think that that's advantage ASU too. Yeah, Jody Yellen now of Pitt, Pitt Panthers. I'm out there, Michigan alumni out there throwing the ball around uh, and and doing an okay job at it. Must be. Let's call a spade a spade. Let's go over to USC's offense against ASU's defense. Rob, uh, what do the numbers say here? So here we've got the number 18 offense in Beta Rank at USC. Um, you know, against the number 26 defense. Uh, and, and for USC, I mean, it, some of it is that they don't return as much production necessarily off as you'd like. They were at number 18 offensively last year. I mean, or I mean, number 11, sorry, offensively last season. Um, you know, 
like a, a really good, I mean, and, and we're projecting ASU to take a jump. That projection for ASU though, you know, is, is in high, like that is in theory still with Danny Gonzalez at DC. Like it doesn't see the, you know, the, the coordinator change. So um, it is, it is a, uh, a like a, a USC advantage on this side of the ball offensively. You know, although I do like, and we've talked about this a bit, like the, the real, the good unit for this ASU team is the defense. Yeah. No, it'll be interesting. Um, Max, when you take a look at ASU's defense, uh, what are the matchups that you think? Like, I, I mean, on my end, I've, I've heard a lot of info out of ASU really highlighting, Hey, we, we might have one of the best secondaries in the conference. I, I disagree. Um, and boy, but this is a prove it moment, right? Like if you're, if you really have a solid secondary, let's see you shut down this, uh, this passing attack. And I think if USC wins this game and covers, it's cause they're lighting up that secondary, but I don't know, maybe it doesn't happen. In fact, I think I'm probably going to take the points here. Um, I think ASU is a good enough team to hang with USC, but what do you think about the, this matchup here when we flip the, flip the switch? Yeah, I think the big problem with Arizona State's defense last year is they didn't really pressure the quarterback all that much. Like I just I keep on going back to like that Arizona State Washington State game where where both teams were just scoring at will. It just seems like uh, um, oh my Anthony Gordon or maybe it was two years no it was last year with Anthony Gordon and he he just like was completing passes at will and it was like death by paper cuts. Um, and so I'm, I I do think Arizona State secondary is solid, but. With with Antonio Pierce as and Marvin Lewis as as the new uh, co DC, like they're gonna dial up pressure just because you can't give Slovis all day in uh, in the pocket just to tear up this defense. So I'm I'm interested to see how Arizona State gets to the quarterback if they can, just because USC's offensive line has had issues over the past few seasons. And but if Arizona State can't get to Slovis in any way, then I think that they're in trouble for sure. Yeah, it's interesting, Rob. When it goes to the running attack, man, USC was miserable last year. And uh, ASU, yeah. I kind of like some of the athletes they have in the front seven. Uh, you know, Merlin Robinson right. returns after uh, an interesting season, but he's certainly there. They have definitely some linebacking talent aside uh, from him. And then some interesting pieces down. Like, uh, I got into it a little bit with an ASU fan. I actually kind of like some of the younger talent they have on the edges, like that, are, that aren't the guys right up the middle. Um, but I, I, I see a scenario where ASU really bottles up this run game yet again. It'll be interesting to see if uh, USC can get anything going. But if ASU is able to pressure the the quarterback and stop the run it's going to be a one-dimensional offense and that puts some pressure on that secondary i really think that's the key of the game yeah yeah i think you're right i mean the a lot of this is going to depend on as i mean asu secondary was mediocre last year they were 56 ineffective pass and beta rank they were the the strength of that defense was in the front seven containing the run um you know usc their their runs their you know, their run pass split and beta rank looks like a full on air raid team, but if you look at the actual play calls, like they they called runs more often, like they just weren't all that successful at them um, comparatively. But they were incredibly successful throwing the football last year. I do think that this is uh you know like a, some of this is going to be like my question I guess is can is ASU's pass rush going to be so good that it doesn't matter if their secondary isn't that great. And I don't think that's going to be the case, right? Like a lot of sacks are coverage sacks. Um, and I don't think that that secondary is going to be able to give the rush enough time in this. This is in a lot of ways, this is a really bad matchup for ASU's defense, um, you know, because of the, what USC really excels at and what they struggle with. Max, one question for you before we go into our picks. And that would be how many points do you think ASU can put up 
you know, minus turnovers. Like, let's just assume there's no turnovers in this game. Like, what can they do? Because I think they're going to have to put up a decent amount in order to catch up to USC. And that's that's where I start being hesitant about that 10 and a half and, and uh, taking the points at ASU. How many points do you think they can score? Uh, I, th- I think a- ASU can get, like, between 24 and 28. Okay. Um, so you're taking the points, right? You're taking the 10 and a half in ASU? Yep. Okay. How about you, Rob? I mean, it's the, it's the, like the, the hook is what gets me like the, the, like I, I like 10 would feel like right on for me, you know? So I, I will take the under, but I think it's probably closer to 10. If it wasn't Helton and I understand new coaching staff, all that stuff, but if it wasn't USC and Clay Helton, I would give the points. I'm going to take the 10 and a half begrudgingly. I'm not betting this game. I'm just watching it as a pure fan. Um, just because I do see a scenario where USC just blows the doors off. Like maybe the ASU defense isn't that good. But also when you take a, or possibly isn't is like top 25 should be pretty solid, right? That's why I'm taking the points. But I could see a scenario where they just blow the doors off um, in the passing game. But what gives me pause is that uh, USC offensive line. Um, and, and just sometimes that offense can really get in the mud. And if ASU uh, is as good as a lot of people think coming in, I think they certainly can hang with USC. So I will take the points as well. Um, let's head on to the next game. 4 o'clock p.m. on ESPNU. Arizona is a 14-point underdog at Utah. And Rob, uh, two teams that uh, – one team that returns basically – everybody uh, minus some coaches and another team that keeps all their coaches but loses everybody what, what do the numbers have for this one yeah so this game is really interesting i mean so utah comes in at 26 and beta rank um arizona comes in at 80 <laughs> so big discrepancy there um you know utah's got an 88 percent win probability um and um, I mean, really, a, a 15.95. I mean, the, the, the beta rank really likes them by almost 16 points at home. Okay. I think that's high. I mean, I think that's high. I mean, I think I think the projection model is underrating. Or I, I think the, the the projection model is like is likely right about where Utah finishes out the season because that's what I'm projecting. I'm projecting like the final year, you know, grade for Utah. Um, I don't like, but Utah is a team for me that might have some early season variants given everything that they lose. Yeah, Max, fourteen points seems like a lot to to open this. I mean, ASC is going to have. Uh, I'm sorry, Arizona is going to have some continuity. Um, Utah's going to be figuring some stuff out. I do like the coaching staff, but I think getting them early here might be a good spot for Arizona. But what did you uh, think initially about the matchup? Uh, well, I mean, Utah has one of the true home field advantages left with with limited fans just because of the altitude. But I think matchup-wise, no, I, I think that you guys are right in that you are going to want to face this Utah team early on just because of how many players they're replacing. And, and Whittingham is such a good coach that I, I feel like once the season is further down the line that he'll have this his team playing really well. And even like Utah last season when they were loaded, it felt like that they didn't really get off to the strongest start. It was like that middle of the season where they really started getting going. Like I remember that like that Northern uh, Illinois game where it just was like a total struggle all throughout. Um, so I, I think that this Utah team is definitely more vulnerable early on. And I, I think Grant Gannell can, can really, uh, he has potential to impress and, and surprise in, in this matchup. Rob, let's start with the Utah offense. We're not certain who the quarterback is yet, 
But uh, I think it's probably going to be the transfer from uh, South Carolina. How do the numbers match up between Arizona's defense, which was a train wreck last year? But they do bring in some old hands, some like veteran coaches that may not go out and light the world on fire on the recruiting front, but should be um, a step up when it comes to X's and O's. I know Baderank doesn't see that, uh, but what does right. it see in terms of the performance? So it has Arizona's defense projected to improve for like the 18th year in a row, it feels like, to 68. I mean, not not in any way a good defense, but at least not as horrendous as they finished out last season when they fired the coaching staff and half of them. I mean, like there was like fights on the sidelines between the defensive staff. Um, you know, Utah comes in at number 33 offensively. Um, not, I mean, the, the parts that they do return, of course, are the parts that we don't necessarily love. I mean, I would say like, I mean, if there's one interesting question I sort of have coming into this and maybe we should have also covered with like Marvin Lewis too, is like when people point out like, I mean, and I, you know, like Paul Rhodes hasn't called plays in a little bit. I expect him to be an improvement over Marcel Yates, but you know, the um, former top defensive coordinators for fifth from like 10 to 15 years ago, not looking so good given Bo Pelini, right? Like the, <laughs> that, that like, we're going to hire a guy that was good back in the, you know, the aughts has, has not worked out well so far. Max, uh, you know, I take a look here, and the first thing that stands out for me is Arizona secondary, which was kind of a mess. Now, they do return a couple cornerbacks. They lost some safety depth. Uh, I, I am assuming everybody's going to come in pretty healthy here. We don't quite know what we have in Utah, uh, Utah with their quarterback, but we do know that they have some devastating tight ends. They have some interesting players like in, in the wide receiving front, like uh, Brian, I think it's Brian Thompson is the guy that jumped out for me. Outside of that, oh, oh and by the way, we have uh, the return of our boy, the seventh year uh, senior there uh, that's going to be able to run around. So there are some weapons here. I think if Utah wins this game, it's going to be through the air, which is interesting because we always think of Utah as a ground attack. We can get to that in a second, but uh, what do you think about the matchup between uh, Arizona's defense and Utah's offense? Yeah, I mean, Brant Keithy and, and, and Britton Covey are, are, are two strong weapons. Uh, I still think that with Whittingham, I, I mean, that they're going to I do think that there is going to be a strong physical element to, uh, to Utah uh, throughout most of the game, but I think with, with Keithy and, and Covey, like, they're, those are two guys that can definitely open up the field and, and they could hit on some big plays just because Arizona really struggled in that department last season. Um, but, I mean, Utah, they, they have some interesting depth at running back. It's, it's going to take a lot to replace Zach Moss. But, uh, I don't know, I, I feel like we, we might see a more balanced Utah offense this year compared to seasons past. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, Rob. We've talked about the struggles that Utah had at the offensive line last year. I'm assuming they're going to take a step forward as a unit. I just oftentimes they do. Uh, but they don't have Zach Moss, the guy that's going to get you like three yards after the first contact. I mean, he was such a monster. They replace him. Uh, and I just I think there's going to be a drop-off in talent. And when you took out the flip side, Arizona's defensive line, look, it's not good. But um, it's not it – actually, they have a better coach. They're bringing in some interesting talent. they got some grad transfers that I think are going to make that unit a little better. I still give the, look, I give the advantage to Utah. I just don't think the advantage is as big as it was last year. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, like we talked about, I mean, if you haven't listened, I think we did great previews with Tipple today of, of all the teams in the Pac-12. But, you know, this Utah offense, I'm a little more optimistic about what Andy Ludwig is able to do, like to try to get around, you know, scheme around what didn't work. But part of what didn't work last season was the offensive line. And you didn't necessarily even have to scheme for it. You just had Zach Moss breaking tackles. Um, and Zach, I mean, if you've been paying attention to the NFL, like Zach Moss has been great, <laughs> you know, coming <laughs> in. Really so, 
I mean, like, like I, if you're a Utah fan, like that actually, like Zach Moss's like incredible success, like gives me pa- a little bit of pause because like the the line was really really bad last year, and also I mean, and Huntley was really good too for them, even though they still weren't like a great passing offense. Like he made great decisions, um, you know, for them, and that 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 is what gives me a little bit of pause about this Utah offense as they as they try to work out some kinks. I think. Um, you know, of what really could work for them. And you're right. I mean, I mean, I think people underestimate the smoking crater that Kevin Sumlin inherited on both offensive and defensive lines on a, on his roster, uh, as well as, I mean, just like throughout, I mean, overall roster talent anyway, like there's a lot different shapes and sizes of players on this team now. Um, and I, I think you have to call out Aaron Blackwell um, and, and Ray Lopez in particular as guys that, you know, like you may, uh, you may not be all that excited to say like, Hey, we got a transfer from New Mexico state and, you know, and the university of New Mexico coming in on the defensive line. Uh, those are guys that actually pro football focus had as, you know, Blackwell was, you know, the top returning defender for New Mexico. And, um, you know, the, the same went for Lopez at uh, New Mexico state. I mean, these are guys that, you know, had some pretty nice write-ups from the guys that watched the tape. So I'm, I am interested to see that because like there's, there's less talent, I think, you know, and I something to keep an eye on, I think, schematically here is that Arizona doesn't have, after the transfers of Schooler and Fields, doesn't have great linebacker depth um, and may end up starting a true freshman, you know, here or there in their, um, you know, there's, you know, there are three, four. Utah may try to stay in, you know, some, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, some two tight end sets in order to try to keep you know, Arizona's less talented personnel in the field and not let Arizona go into nickel. Um, so if you're Arizona, you may want to find some, you know, some schemes where you can get that, you know, that extra corner, you know, on the field um, and, and take out one of those young linebackers. So watching if, if Utah finds a favor, like they might even try to go tempo to try to keep, you know, Arizona from substituting out. I'm just so worried for to, to for all those linebackers out there that are going to try to tackle Brant Keithy. <laughs> like he's just yeah. he's going to get he's going to have like 80 yards like minimum I think in this game. It'll be really fun to watch. Uh that and he's just a talented uh the person on his end but also it'll be interesting to see if his quarterback's going to be able to get him the ball consistently. Flipping over Arizona's offense versus Arizona defense, Rob, what do we have here? So on this side of the ball this one is interesting. Arizona's defense or offense only comes in projected at 67. A lot of that is, is that Khalil Tate played far too many snaps last season. So a lot of that projection <laughs> doesn't see that there's a new quarter, a new sheriff in town, if you will. Um, Utah's defense was really, really good last season, um, but they lose nearly everyone. They're 130 out of 130 in returning production. Um, so they are, uh, you know, they're projected at 38. They are projected like still be, a, you know, a pretty decent defense. I think that they end up at the end of the year higher than 38, but yeah. there's just not a lot to hang your hat on for just pure, you know, pure talent coming back for them. Max, you know, people have already heard our thoughts on Arizona. What, what do you think about the offense headed into the season and their matchup against the Utes? Yeah, no, I, I, I've said it before, um, but I, I think, you know, it, it's, I feel like with Khalil Tate and uh, Kevin Sumlin, it was kind of a square peg in a round hole, and, and I'm excited to see what someone can do with Gunnell. Um, I mean, Arizona, they have some exciting uh, speedy wide receivers that I think can be interesting. And with Utah, I mean, yes, like everyone knows about Utah's defensive line just because of the factory of NFL talent that they seemingly have every year, but their secondary was really strong last year. And, and like... Um, 
J, uh, Jalen Johnson, their, their cornerback, who he might be, he's definitely one of the favorites to be NFL Rookie of the Year this year with the Bears. Uh, Julian Blackman was basically their their quarterback on defense uh, last season. Like the talent that they lose on the secondary is massive, and so I I, I, I think that 14 points is a lot, especially for all the turnover that Utah has, and and especially if Gunnell ends up being the better quarterback in this game than I'm assuming Jake Bentley for Utah. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think the other thing to keep in mind is Arizona didn't have a good offensive line, but they all return and it wasn't, it wasn't a mess and, and they're going to be healthy. So there was definitely some injury issues back, uh, you know, throughout the year that basically that whole unit returns and it should be able to uh, hold the line for as much as possible. I think 14 is a lot. I think Utah wins. And again, I agree with you, Rob. Yeah. I think Utah becomes a much better team over time. I think Arizona gets a good spot here in the beginning of the year. It is on the road, but I don't think they're going to be allowing fans. Hopefully this game happens. We won't get into that, but like, hopefully this game actually um, is able to take place with the COVID numbers rising in both Utah and Arizona. Um, and, and so I'll, I'll take the points also. I think 14 is a good spot. I don't know if I'm going to bet this personally, uh, but this is on one of those ones where maybe if I... <laughs> If I'm if I'm doing all right at the beginning of the of the afternoon, I might throw a little bit down here in Arizona. I just think that's a lot of points. What about you? Uh, yeah, I I like I like Arizona against this number. I mean, I, I I'd be shocked if Arizona you know wins the game. They're going to need two turnovers to likely win the game. But I also think that Arizona it, it's closer to ten or a little under. All right, let's move on. Seven o'clock p.m. on ESPN two. William Hill has UCLA as a five and a half point favorite on the road at Colorado. Um, I'm Max. I am before Rob gives the numbers. I'm dying to hear your thoughts on this because I know you're down on UCLA and I know you're down on Colorado. So uh, when this line came out, I immediately thought of you. I feel like I'm more down on Colorado than anyone. So to be fair, this line made total sense to me. Okay. All right. That, there we go. That was what I was wondering, whether or not that jumped out for you. Um, Rob, let's let's take a look at Baderank here with these numbers because, uh, you know, Colorado returns a lot. So does UCLA. Uh, we just don't know who Colorado's quarterback is going to be, and that could be a problem. I mean, the word is that it's going to be Neuer who had actually stopped playing quarterback oh, and no. go over to safety <laughs> oh, because, no. um, yeah, so that, I mean, like, that he had beat out Lytle. And I mean, I, I get like, I, I've watched some spring tape with Lytle in there. It wasn't anything exciting. So like Neuer coming, you know, getting moved back over to QB because of, you know, like some opening up there, um, you know, looking like he's going to get the, get the nod, um, you know, but it's uh, <clears throat> Colorado comes in projected at 75 in beta rank. Um, UCLA comes in projected at 70, um, you know, because the game is at Colorado, they, they are, I mean, this is, this game is, basically a toss up between these teams. Um, it is Colorado is a very, very slight favorite in beta rank, 52% win probability and about one and a half points. Okay. Let, let's talk about the, let's talk about Colorado's offense against UCLA's defense, because when we did our preview with Hithliday and Max is right, I think I, I'm not bullish on Colorado. I can see a scenario where they're um, they're fine, but they're still, you know, they still went to like two games or one game in the conference. The, the thing that gives me pause here when we talk about matchups is I don't trust the quarterback, right? Like, and I think that uh, Colorado can be a one dimensional offense here. And, and I, I, that actually on paper is okay, depending on who they're playing, but it, 
if there's one thing at UCLA did well last year, it was defending the run up the middle. And I can see, uh, I just see a scenario where they could do that really well again. And it puts a lot of pressure on the offensive line. It puts a lot of pressure on a new quarterback and a wide receiving core that isn't going to be as strong as it was last time. Uh, what do the numbers say? And is, is that something like what else is sticking out for you in the matchup here? Yeah, so Colorado comes in projected at 72 offensively. Um, you know, and UCLA comes in projected at 86 on defense. I mean, this, uh, there's just, there's not a lot to, I mean, particularly like the, if you're going to hang your hat, like you can pretty much only hang your hat on with either of these units. I mean, I guess you can't, I mean, Colorado's offensive line was decent last year. The, you know, the, the tackles, you know, were actually really good at the point of attack for UCLA, um, you know, in defending the run. I mean, other than that though, <laughs> There's just not much to say. I mean, like Chiaverini uh, was awful as offensive coordinator two years ago when he was the he was the play caller. The one thing you could say was that I mean he was better in the early season before people got tape on him and he didn't make adjustments. Um, if there's anyone, however, that I would think may not go out and watch all that much Chiaverini tape and take good notes, though, it might be Azanaro at UCLA, who was just, just incredibly bad DC. You know, and, and it is it is tough because I mean, like if you're going to exploit this UCLA defense, you really should do it through. I mean, they were they were impossibly bad last year defending the pass. Um, you know, so I I this one's t- I mean this one's t- I mean this is it's not necessarily even strength on strength. I mean, this is true. Like you know, weakness. On, I mean, well, maybe not weakness on weakness. This is this is actually like Colorado's pass defense was also atrocious, but like UCLA's last year, their pass run pass but on defense was. 56 an effective rush and now 116 an effective pass. Um, now Colorado last year was at 46 an effective pass. That's a different offensive coordinator, different quarterback, you know, um, you know, wide receiver now in the NFL. I don't, uh, I just, I'm not, uh, I, I think if, I think if Colorado, if they're able to make something work here, um, they're going to have to bounce runs outside. And they're going to have to be able to seal and you know deliver with that. They're also going to have to be better than you know Chiaverini was when he was playing, you know, calling plays the first time. He just threw too. He kept too many passes near the line of scrimmage, um, and he needs to be more creative uh, there. I mean, if it's if it's a UCLA win, you know, like they need to, they do need to be able to shut down outside runs as well as the interior runs. And then, of course, they just they have. I mean, they have to be better in coverage. I mean, it's just like even Colorado should be able to throw the ball against the secondary. Yeah, Max, there's going to be likely numbers of two tight end sets, a lot of running, um, I think probably conservative play calling uh, to start the the game with a new quarterback that, I, frankly, I wouldn't trust. Um, does that give – do you see any edge in that here, like with that UCLA given five and a half? I feel like with UCLA you kind of know what you're going to get at this point. Uh, even though there is always the chance for a Dorian Thompson-Robinson explosion like the, against like Washington State last season. Um, but I, with Colorado, like I am so down on Colorado, and I was expecting UCLA to be a favorite. And even even like a, a three, three and a half, but what, oh, what, what do we have it at, five and a half, six right now? Five and a half right now, yeah. And that went down. I think UCLA opened in Vegas at like a six or six and a half points. So there's been a little bit of money coming in on Colorado here. Uh, and you know what? This is a Carl Durrell revenge game, if, if I say so. That's like the long play. Like Carl Durrell has been like saving, saving this revenge. 
the, it's the only time Colorado is going to be circled on the schedule this year. That's for certain. <laughs> I know, but call, like they they do have decent running backs. Their offensive line isn't bad. It's just going from Montez and Chenault, and they weren't even that spectacular last season with those two at their disposal. And now, like they yeah, they have Tony Brown returning, um, and, and they and uh, they lost Katie Nixon too, I think. But um, it's just that they had all this talent, and now. I'm a little nervous about how they're going to play, but UCLA with Azanaro like as their defensive coordinator, UCLA defense. If this is any any game for Colorado to show life on offense, I feel like this is kind of it. And so, as much as it pains me, because I, I feel like I've hammered Colorado a ton, I am once again going to take the points here. And I'm <laughs> See that number came out and it, it jumped immediately. I'm like. Like you're gonna give me points against UCLA, like on the road, sure, I'll take them. Um, but but again, it's that box. Like if if UCLA did anything well, it was be able to stop the run like at an okay level. And and we talked about that, Rob, at nauseum, particularly at the beginning of the year. Like oh snap, they they can actually stop stop uh, things going up the gut. And I know they lose a little bit in their front seven, but like that's the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause. But let's flip over to the other side here because it's not like UCLA is running a juggernaut offense here, and it's not like Colorado has any semblance of a secondary. So what what do the numbers have on that front? So I mean, here you know Chip Kelly's offense came you know comes in projected at forty seven. Uh, I mean they've really struggled. Uh, and then, you know, Colorado's defense comes in projected at 63, um, which, you know, ain't bad. They definitely, I mean, if I have a concern about this defense coming in, I mean, beyond the fact that their secondary was nightmarishly bad last year, um, was that Davian Taylor was like a heat seeking missile for them cleaning up the run last season. Uh, and he's gone, he's off to the NFL. So, you know, they were at 42 and they had a, they also had a huge run pass split. You know, so like, you know, if you ran the ball against Colorado, you were doing it wrong. Um, but like Khalil Tate had his best passing game, you know, last year by far against his Buffalo secondary. Um, you know, look, they made him look incredibly comfortable and competent uh, in that Noel Mazzoni offense. So getting to see, like, I mean, everybody is kind of like, oh, yeah, they'll be better. But like, I mean, sure, maybe. But by, I mean, the question, like, by how much? Um, you know, there, there is some struggles here. The one thing to keep an eye on is, is, uh, you know, Chip Kelly still does like to run the offense through the tight end. Um, something he definitely picked up more in the NFL and they have been a bit of the feature here for the CCLA team. Um, you know, are they able to really get to, you know, get the tight end, you know, you know, continue to do that. Does, you know, at any point does Dorian Thompson Robinson take the necessary step forward? Um, I, I mean, like he should, I mean, against this Colorado secondary, even Thompson Robinson should be more effective. I don't, I mean, I don't know. That, like that, that is really, diff, really difficult for me to sort of say. Um, and I do have questions about the offensive line for UCLA too, with some of their losses. And they don't, I mean, again, like we've talked about this, like they don't have, you know, for UCLA standards, like they just don't have great talent that you look to be, you know, beyond Felton. They don't really have anybody who's a real difference maker uh, you know on the offense so um i I'm, yeah absolutely like you should like even thompson robinson should be able to throw the ball here but i mean his accuracy issues i mean he may not be able to exploit the secondary to the level you know he should yeah and aussie aussie's gone like you mentioned i really don't trust the the wide receivers outside of felton who they kind of use as a gadget player and we'll see what they're able to do i mean he had disappointing numbers for his like much talent that he showed on the field at times the other thing is i like 
the the front seven for uh, for Colorado, like as they're healthy now, when injuries start to come, I think it becomes a problem. But I I think they're going to be able to for the most part, put some pressure on uh, Thompson Robinson and bottle up a running game that wasn't really that proficient. It's through the air. And I'm going to take the points. And f- and, I, and I'm, you know, if if Dorian Thompson Robinson beats me through the air, so be it. <laughs> but I think I'm going to think I'm going to gobble up that five and a half and take Colorado at home. And, and we'll see what happens with UCLA. Uh, Rob, who are you taking? Because I think Max is taking those points also. It's, under, it's underdog uh, Sunday here at 12 Bag Radio. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, I'll, I will clearly take. I mean, like, I think Baderink is r- right on these teams. They are both equally crappy, um, and you're going to give a slight nod to the under, you know, the home team. So I'll take, I'll take Colorado here. All one right. Other, one other note I, I I'd like to say though about this, game, especially like you said under Chip Kelly with, with their non-conference schedule, UCLA started off really, really slow yeah. under Chip. Like they they went zero and three each of the past two seasons in non-conference. And maybe it's just like the new players adjusting uh, to his uh, to his offense, or maybe just with the coaching staff in general not getting not being prepared early on in the season. So I think that's a pretty alarming trend as well for UCLA. Yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out, Max. And we'll keep going to you certainly as we go through the season, pointing out some of those spots, which I think are really, really important that go beyond the numbers. So uh, thanks for bringing that up. We have three more games. Uh, a quick break here. I, I think one of the things that we should mention is. You know, if if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know we've been grinding for like two years um, to, to really to to formulate the show and make it stronger. And we appreciate the feedback. I think a lot of the uh, the criticism and and the compliments that we've taken, we've really taken to heart to put together a good show. And one of the things that we were hoping to do was to finally pick up an annual sponsor. And we did. So thank you for sharing the show and helping us approve and just kind of tuning in to get to this point where, um, you know, like we, we can we can do a little bit more with the show. We're very excited to announce a year-long partnership with Nextiva, uh, which is the official communications partner of uh, the Pac-12, like we mentioned in the the pre-roll. So we're definitely going to continue to highlight what they're able to do. I think one of the things that was interesting, I actually met with them uh, before we uh, before we decided to partner up this year. Um, and, and I think two things stood out. The first was like, uh, they're, they're college football fans. Um, they have offices all over the Pac-12. And again, like them partnering with the Pac-12 made this like, pretty fun uh, to be able to do. Um, and, and one of the things that I was looking up was uh, I love looking at the Glassdoor reviews of companies because I think it highlights like what the culture is and whether or not they're taking uh, care of employees. They're actually named one of the the top 100 uh, companies in the entire country to work for by Glassdoor. So if you're delivering a good product and you're taking care of your employees, I think that's something that we should strive for. So I was really excited to be able to like uh, to see that and then also to see when we were talking with them. So again, um, if you like the show, if you like 12 Pack Radio, um, and if your business is is whether you're back in the office or you're doing remote work and you're looking for uh, a provider to, to provide uh, business services, phone services, and just kind of like a nice package, um, definitely check them out if you want to help the show. It's nextiva.com forward slash 12 pack. That's N-E-X-T-I-V-A.com forward slash 12 pack to get started. We would certainly appreciate it. And, so, and it's a really good company. So we're, we're excited to be able to work with them throughout the year. One more uh, One more message here and we'll get back to the games. All right, we're back. 7.30 p.m. on ABC. Stanford. Stanford. Max, plus 12 on the road at Eugene. And uh, I know you like the offense. Um, I know we have questions about Oregon and whether or not, uh, you know, Joe Moorhead's going to be able to take a new quarterback and a new offensive line and keep the party going at Autzen 
Uh, what did you think about the the plus twelve? What were your initial impressions? Uh, I don't know. This one this one's interesting to me just because I mean I remember I was like I was like really like in on um, Stanford. I, I forgot what the number was, but they were pretty sizable underdogs at home uh, last year against Oregon. And Oregon's offense did absolutely nothing, but Stanford's offense was negative. Like I, I just, it was one of the worst games I've ever seen, and, and Oregon covered, and it, it was a disgrace uh, because I thought it was it was a good spot for Stanford, and they still they couldn't do anything. Oh, this game's so interesting just because. Oregon lost so much. Like I thought that they were clear. Um, I thought they were the Pac-12 favorites. Uh, and plus, Stanford still has a good amount of talent, but they've definitely underachieved uh, the past couple seasons. And while Stanford, like we have questions about their coaching staff, especially with their offensive coordinator, Tavita Pritchard. Oregon went out and made the made a huge fix with Marcus Arroyo going to New Mexico, an offensive coordinator that we thought was not utilizing his talent enough, especially seeing Justin Herbert uh, tear up the NFL so far. And they hired Joe Moorhead, who I thought was the best available guy on the market. So um, I'm really interested to see what what Moorhead cooks up with um, in the first game. But Oregon, I mean, they're replacing their entire offensive line. They're replacing Herbert. Uh, They do have great skill position talent, but... Yeah, it's it again. Twelve at twelve is a lot of points, and I don't know, like it's not the same home field advantage as it normally would be at Austin. And I mean, David Shaw has done really like nothing for and for me to I guess trust him in this type of spot, and especially given how conservative he is with punting inside opponents' territory. But there's just so much uncertainty with both of these teams, and I still think Oregon is really really good. But I, I want to see whether it's it's I, I just want like how the offense fares. Um, I, I think Avalos is an amazing coordinator, but that defense lost so much talent and their secondary, I thought, was going to be the best, best or second best in the country. And, and they lost a lot. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm taking the points here, too. Oh, he's taking the points. OK, Rob, I have a pretty strong lean on this, but I'm curious what the numbers say. So wh- where is Oregon heading into the season and where is Stanford? Uh, so this one, there's quite a big discrepancy. Oregon comes in projected at number 10 in beta rank. Um, Stanford comes in projected at number 45. Beta rank really sees this as a really pretty easy game for Oregon. Uh, 92% win probability, you know, 19 point favorite at home. Let's flip. Let's let's start with Stanford's offense because I think if they're able to stay in this game, it's because they're going to be able to move the football against just a a really really good defense that almost returns everything. I know we had an opt out with Brady Breeze and and one of the cornerbacks is gone, uh, but for the most part, a good front seven, a good secondary, um, and an elite defense last year against what what could be an interesting offense. So what, what's that? What's uh, what are the numbers there? And like we'll kind of go through the you know the secondary versus the quarterback and all that stuff. So Stanford's offense comes in projected number 38 overall, um, which is they've struggled a little bit. They certainly struggled last year. Injuries definitely played a role in that um, before the five Stanford fans that follow us start emailing. <laughs> um, Oregon's defense, however, I mean, really comes in right now. Um, and Georgia's defense, I don't want to say they've regressed a lot, but Oregon's defense comes in projected at number one overall, um, you know, right now in beta rank. They do have some losses versus, you know, what, uh, you know, we expected them to have coming back. I don't think, however, that they are, you know, like 
like they, they have enough depth and I really like the coaching staff and the fact that Andy Avalos is coming back. Like, I think, I don't think Oregon drops out of the top four in beta rank on the defensive side of the ball. Um, matchup wise. I mean, like Davis mills has been fine. I don't like the offensive line for Stanford. I don't think that they're uh, really, you know, suddenly going to figure it out and be able to run the football. I have questions about their ability to really develop and keep the wide receivers going and mills ability to execute in the way that Costello was, um, you know, the, the last time that Stanford's offense was really good. Um, I just, I, I think this is going to be an art. Like, I think that this is going to be, uh, the type of game where, you know, barring some real mental, you know, early season mental screw ups for Oregon, I think Stanford really struggles to move the football. I think the Oregon secondary is able to really shut down what they're doing and that, 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 that front seven for Oregon gets a lot of pressure on Mills. Yeah, that was when I was looking through this. I saw strength on strength with uh, Mills and the wide receiving core against Oregon's secondary max. And then when it comes to the front seven versus Stanford, I need to see that offensive line get their act together because they had a good running back in Bryce Love a few years ago and just did nothing because they could not uh, run block. And and I see a scenario where really – Oregon's going to be able to pressure Mills, which puts pressure again on the on the throwing uh, attack for Stanford. So I just I see a scenario really where Oregon's uh, able to just keep the pressure on on Stanford and really get a leg up on this front. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I get it. But I, for me, I, I see a lower scoring game in this one, and so I, I just think that twelve is a lot. Like I, I see like kind of a twenty-seven seventeen type of game. Uh, okay, well that that that's fair. Let's flip over to the offense here because, like Max is mentioning, if it's a lower scoring game, I could see that. Right, you have a uh, new quarterback, new offensive line. I, I think it really comes down to uh, and and by the way, it'll be interesting to see what Moorhead does. But but in the last couple of years, Rob, we've seen um, an Oregon team that really wants to run the football, and uh, and how good was Stanford at stopping the run game last year? And when we take a look at this front seven, what do we have and, and what do the numbers say? Yeah. So Stanford, you know, their defense has really, you know, really struggled. They, they came, they come into this season projected only at 58. Um, you know, that Oregon offense, we only have them projected at 37. A lot of that is the reflection that they weren't, they, they didn't exactly knock it out of the park last year with Arroyo. Um, and even with Herbert, who has really shined at the NFL far more than he has at Oregon, than he did at Oregon. But that, that, I, I think a lot of this change, I mean, like having Joe, the Joe Moorhead hire, I think changes things. Um, I, you know, you are replacing all five offensive linemen. That is a, you know, mileage may vary on where this offensive line finishes. I don't expect them to suddenly become a bad line. Um, you know, Stanford last season, uh, when we look at their, you know, their defense, uh, they were at 73 in effective rush. I mean, they just really, really struggled to, uh, to, to, to contain the run. I mean, I think Oregon's going to be able to run the football pretty effectively against Stanford. Um, and I don't know that they're going to have a great answer for it. And if with Moorhead calling the shots, um, I do expect if they are able to run the football, then Stanford could be in a lot of trouble from play action. Hey, Max, what would be a win total that would start getting some resistance from you on whether you'd want to bet it? A, t- a win total? On the, on the under, yeah. Like, you know, you mentioned the under, and that actually that makes a lot of sense. In fact, it might make more sense than taking – uh, than giving the points if you're taking Oregon, what would be kind of a level where you'd start thinking twice about not taking that under? Um, I don't know. Like, like for me, like I would probably have this total around 51. Okay. 
that makes sense. I, I just don't think Stanford's really going to score a lot of points, but I can all. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, Rob, what would, what is uh, beta rank have it? Oh, I don't I don't have a total on this one. I don't like I just you know the with the 19 points for Oregon, like I I think Oregon's going to be able to put up 30 points. I mean, I had like 30 points. I think Stanford's going to struggle to put up 10. Yeah. Uh, like 30, 30 would be fair for, for Oregon. It's just, I can see a scenario where they have the game in hand and they're just going to run the ball. Um, particularly with the new quarterback in the line. Um, and maybe it takes the line a little bit of time to get their act together. But uh, man, I think that under that, that actually sounds pretty tasty. Um, but, yeah, but, even, but even if Oregon scores 31, I mean, if, for 50, like even if, if Stanford scores 20, like the under, it's still 51. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. For me, uh, I just want to see what that total is right now. Oh, uh, yeah. William Hill doesn't have the total for that. Yeah. But I, I would have it at 51 personally. Okay. Yeah. I like that. Um, that might be the play of the week on my end. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to lay the points and take Oregon and flinch and cringe as I watch this game. I do. Th- I do think there's a higher there's a higher probability that Oregon just beats the crap out of Stanford than um, than Stanford keeps this game um, within a touchdown. Uh, but that 12 points is a lot, uh, particularly if if I'm going on the under. So I'll, I'll lay the points, uh, but I'll probably end up betting the under. What What are you going to take, Rob? The points are you going to give them? Uh, no, I'm I'm taking the Ducks here. Okay. And then Max, you are laying the points and taking Stanford. Is that correct? Uh, not laying the points. I'm taking the points with Stanford. Thank you. Thank you. My uh, terminology, I got, I'm a little rusty, a little rusty. I get back in the, the swing of things. Um, okay. I think let's go to the game that all of us have on our radar here. 10.30 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. Washington State is a two-and-a-half-point favorite on the road at Oregon State. This was a team, uh, Max, that, that we definitely rolled with last year. Oregon State able to get their act together. It looks like Tristan Jebbia is the starting quarterback in Corvallis. Um, but we we also are kind of down on Washington State this year, um, but also like I think we're going to get to the matchup here when it comes to the uh, uh, the secondary versus uh, what, what Washington State may be able to do through the air. And they just announced their quarterback, freshman uh, Jaden Delore, I think is his name. My apologies if I mix it up. I don't have the the roster in front of me at this moment. Um, but r- actually, let's go with you, Rob. What, what do the numbers say initially here as we uh, as we go into the game? So Baderick has this close. So it's got Washington State projected at forty one. Oregon State projected at 60, count on the home field advantage. It's, you know, uh, Washington State has a 58% win probability, and it's just a, a 2.2 point, you know, point favorite uh, on the road. Uh, it's it, uh, like, uh, this feels iffy, like I, this feels like a real true toss-up for me, um, given how much I like the coaching staff at, at, at Oregon State. Um, I do feel like they're going to struggle maybe a little bit more given early in the season, breaking in the offense. Uh, but that said, like Washington State is a, a true enigma with the question of like how do the pieces really fit into the new schemes? I can see a scenario where Oregon State blows the doors off of Washington State just because that defense is so bad and and they're able to move the football. They have a good running attack. Um, I think they'll be able to get the passing game down. And and when you flip it on the other side, there's a scenario where Delora throws like three interceptions, right, <laughs> with the run and shoot, which is a really awkward offense to learn in like short weeks uh, with a freshman quarterback. Uh, but again, the, you know, the secondary, I don't trust them further than I can throw it um, when it comes to Oregon State. Uh, but let, I guess let's. Well, Max, what, like, I'm curious, what did you think about this line? Because I initially was like, oh, man, 
you're going to give me two and a half to at Oregon State at home against a team that is trying to figure out their offense. I'll take it. But uh, I'm curious if that was the same impression you had when you saw the line. You think a Tristan Jebbia quarterback team is going to blow out another Pac-12 team? That's a, that's a bold statement right there. For me, I just think that the team with more coaching uh, can, uh, continuity, uh, a team that's had a quarter that has the quarterback that's played um, for them last season. Uh, it's in Corvallis. Uh, the run and shoot, just the difference between the air raid and the run and shoot in terms of offensive line play, like they explained, I thought was really fascinating to me. And I think that could give Washington State issues. Uh, for me, it's, it's, it's a lot of question marks about Washington State. And even though I, I am, I do think that there is a drop-off with Oregon State, and I really wish that this line was at three. Um, but I'll still I'll, I'll take the two and a half, and I'll go with another dog here. Rob, let's go with the the Washington State offense against the Oregon State defense. Again, Baderank doesn't take into account the change between the air raid and flipping over to the run and shoot, but it does take into account that, that secondary for Oregon State. So what do the numbers say here with this matchup? Yeah, absolutely. So this this Washington State offense – uh, we projected number 32. That is, that is a, a mostly Mike Leach projection. Um, you know, and they do, they do lose, you know, quite a bit off of last year's team. Um, you know, this Oregon state defense projects at 72. That is, you know, even, uh, you know, a little bit of an improvement off of where they were last season. They had a huge, huge improvement last year, um, you know, from, you know, defensively. So this is, uh, this matchup could be a lot of fun. I mean, as you pointed out last year, um, you know, they, they, Oregon State secondary stunk. They weren't actually they they weren't in UCLA or Colorado territory. They were in 95 uh, in effective pass, um, you know, and, and then 61 against the run. I I do expect still. I mean, like, you know, they're they they are going to run into. I mean, like, lean into the pass for for Washington State. So in theory, you know, this is a good matchup against this Oregon State secondary. Um, I guess the question is, is like. Do, are they on the same page enough that there's not slip ups that cause the quarterback to hold the ball and you know then that Oregon State rush you know uh, pass rush to get there? Yeah, I um, let, let's flip over to the other side here when it comes to Oregon State's offense against the defense because Max does bring up a big issue and that's Tristan Jebbia. I um, I have my reservations. We disagreed with Hithliday on our podcast about whether or not uh, we could trust him. At the same time. It wasn't like uh, now we, we said that Washington State's run defense was better than we had thought, but that might just be because everybody was throwing on Washington State. Um, obviously, they lose uh, Isaiah Hodgins. They lose um, uh, their quarterback, whose name escapes me right now, who is like my hero <laughs> after breaking his back um, and then coming back the next year and like throwing like almost no interceptions. So Jebbia certainly is a step down, but they do have good offensive play calling. Um, they have an interesting offensive line that's healthy coming into the year. They have a good rushing attack. I think they're, they're going to have a good tight end. Uh, it's just whether or not they're going to have the wide receivers. And, and they actually brought in some interesting pieces, transfers from Florida State, who, you know, like four-star kid. They got a guy out of, I think, uh, uh, was it Oregon? Oregon or, or Washington. They got Trey Lowe out of Washington. So some pieces that could make, uh, you know, make a good case. But, uh, but you know, Jebby is going to be the question mark there. What do the numbers say uh, about Oregon State's offense against Washington State's defense? Yeah, I mean, we absolutely like the, this offense here projects at number 61 for Oregon State. That's a step back from where they were last year. Um, you know, and, and it is the fact that they returned so little production off of last year's squad. 
You know, in Washington State's defense, we actually project to take a step forward um, just because it's hard to be as bad as they have been and, you know, be a power five defense. Um, we project them at 75. Uh, you know, I, I think that's going to be a really, you know, this is going to be a really interesting matchup here of what, you know, I, I think Jonathan Smith, you know, is, is still for my money until we see how Morad shakes out, you know, the best offensive uh, mind in the Pac-12 and, and what they're, you know, what the, what Oregon State does, I think is just terrific. Um, you know, whether he has, you know, how does, how, how ready does he have them to play? Um, you know, I think I, I still like their shot there. I do like Dickert, the defensive coordinator that they hired at Washington State, but he's got a, you know, he's, you know, they really were really bad against the pass last season, 118 an effective pass. Um, you know, they, they have a lot of work cut out for them. So Oregon state, if, if Jebbia can throw the ball at all, right. And, and, and if Smith can scheme any of it open or, um, you know, if they can get the running game going, I mean, like Washington state's defense was better against the run, which it, in beta rank is counted at a marginal level for the defense. So it's not the total as how you're doing per play. You know, they, they were decent against the run last season, but they weren't asked to, you know, they were you know, like, they, they, you know, they, they, def- the pass defense was so bad. Like you might as well throw the ball. It will. I, I, I really do think like this, this game, this game, well, this game is going to, uh, could also and keep an eye on this. This is an odd thing to call out. Oregon state has had an excellent special teams unit last season. Um, you know, and, and they were in the, you know, the top 10 in beta rank. Washington state had an excellent special teams unit also in the top 10 in beta rank. You know, which one of those holds up, you know, they both returned their specialists. Like I'm excited to see, you know, like that, this was a big part of these teams success last season with special teams, which helped make up for some, some underwhelming defenses. Okay. Shoot. I thought this was a screamy buy, but Max kind of talked me out of it a little bit. I'm still going to take the points and I'm going to, I'm going to put some money on Oregon state, but maybe not as much as I had anticipated. Uh, <laughs> Rob, what are you going to take? No, no, give me the beavers. Like I, I mean, I, I, I think Washington state's going to have some growing pains, more, more like a lot more growing pains. And Oregon State has, I mean, rightfully so. I like the coaching staff and what they've done. I mean, the fact that they have continuity, I think, is a win coming in. Right. Any other, uh, any other thoughts on this matchup here, Max? Wait, I was, I talked to you. I was taking the Beavers. Oh yeah, I know. But I like when this, when I saw the the list of lines that came out, that was the one I immediately circled as like, oh hell yeah. Um, like as, as being like a, you know, like the bet of the, the week, but, um, maybe I'm going to lower that tier a little bit here. I know you're taking the, the beeves, but, um, uh, I, I, you know, the, the Jebbia factor is real. So we'll see if that's the case. Um, all right. Last game, 1030 ESPN, a good one, two good ones for the nightcaps here. Uh, Washington is a one and a half point favorite on the road against Cal. Rob, uh, th- this is this kind of uh, reminds me of the USC ASU matchup and like two teams that I think have some some potential to to impress, but maybe not. <laughs> and I think we're going to see really quick uh, which team rises to the occasion. What do the numbers say? Yeah, so this game is going to be interesting. Washington comes in projected at number fourteen overall. Cal comes in projected at number thirty. Washington, even on the road, is a 74% win probability and and 6.99. I mean, really a, t- a touchdown favorite, uh, you know. There, I yeah, I I think that I think that is entirely fair. Uh, that that line. It was interesting because this line, I think, opened like you know before every, everything kind of settled into place at six and a half, and it's now one and a half. And I, Max, I like Washington in this spot. I, it's interesting. We'll go through the, the matchups here. Um, 
But man, one and a half seems pretty low for a team that's going to have a really, really freaking good defense uh, against uh, an offense that was interesting. But uh, I don't know if it's going to have the horses really to put up the points that they're going to need to to stay in this game. What do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the line going down by this much. Uh, granted, I mean, it was it was a look ahead line uh, that was out there, but I, I, I think that Washington going down to one and a half, and, and I feel like I've even seen them uh, seen this at Pickham at at, uh, at other places. I just think it's an overreaction. I mean, wa- Washington talent level so strong, and I know that we ripped. Um, Washington for making the Donovan hire at offensive coordinator, but their defense is just still so incredibly good. And I mean, Cal, Cal is definitely, Cal is the darling of the Pac-12 this year. And I mean, it's just because they think that this is finally the year that the offense will catch up to the defense, but the defense just isn't anywhere near where it was even like two years ago. Um, so I think that there is definitely a drop-off point there, and I, I did Washington by far. Washington's defense is by far the best unit in this game, and so I think the Huskies take care of business. Yeah, let's take a look at that matchup here, Rob, because we were bullish on Cal, and, and again for Cal fans, like I, I think when we recorded that show. When I listened back, it made it seem like we thought maybe they'd go like one and five or two and four. Like, I think they'll go three and three, maybe, maybe four and two if they really, really like if they win this game. Um, that would be interesting. I think it's more likely that they go three and three um, than four and two here. But but they do have an offense. And that was the one thing that we were pretty interested in was um, there were some injuries on the offensive line last year. They have a good running back. Um, Garbers is back. I'm not a fan of their wide receivers, and they lost that um, that hot freshman tight end that was going to come in and, and, and catch passes for them. So I'm, I'm just curious, what, what do the advanced metrics say here? Um, and one of the things that I won't see is uh, is the change in offensive coordinator here to Bill Musgrave. Yeah, I mean, so the Cal projects to improve. They they do return a lot, but the you know improvement for this Cal offense is not suddenly like a good Power Five offense. They projected 41 uh, overall. You know, Washington comes in projected, however, at number four on defense, um, you know, and it's not going to change. I mean, like they're, they're lucky and, you know, Kwiatkowski, you know, like stepping in back into the defensive coordinator role, like you're, you're, you're bringing back one of the best defensive coordinators in all of college football. Um, they have just an abundance of riches in the secondary, which we've covered, uh, you know, ad nauseum. Um, you know, they do like they, the, the pieces that they lose on the opt-outs on Uzurike and Tryon, they matter. Um, but I actually, I, I also do like some of the talent that they have that could potentially be stepping in and, uh, you know, smalls and, you know, uh, and getting on the field. So uh, I, I think this, def- this Washington defense, again, you know, with the losses, maybe they don't meet their four projection, but I don't expect them to drop out of the top 10. Uh, I think Cal's going to have a tough time moving the ball here. And like last year, like last year, it was just, you know, when they came back off that lightning delay, it was, you know, the Brown show all day. I mean, just running, uh, you know, like, like he was breaking tackles and moving the chains on Washington. Um, I don't know that they're going to be able to get away with that again. That's, that's the one thing that we talked about with Hifliday, right? It's the inside linebackers. It's um, what are they going to be able to do up the middle? So there's a scenario where they move the ball, but it's like four yards, four yards, four yards, four yards, you know, like, um, or six yards. I, I don't see a scenario where they're going to give up big plays because that's not what Washington does. So maybe, you know, like, and it, I guess that would be the case if this was a bigger spread, right? If it was Cal plus seven, 
Um, or, you know, maybe Cal can, you know, play the possession game and keep it close and just keep pounding it up the middle and, and getting those yards. But man, it's only one and a half here. And like, and when you flip over on the other side, I think this is the most interesting matchup, right? Because it's two unknowns. What is Washington's offense with a, a quarterback we that is yet to be named against a a defense that that I think all three of us Max are pretty down on here when it comes to whether or not they're going to be able to stop um, you know teams to get to a point where they're challenging for the Pac-12 title. Um, yeah, I mean with Cal, I, with Cal, uh, Ev, I mean Evan Weaver was the heart and soul of that defense, and, and they lose him at linebacker, especially the run defense was just not that good last season. Uh, they lose a few a few guys in their terrific secondary, um, losing Tim DeRoyter as your defensive coordinator, and then going to Peter Sermon, who's the new uh, defensive play caller, who I think is a total train wreck. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm like Justin Wilcox is, is a sharp defensive mind, but there are some definitely uh, red flags with this Cal defense and. That's what the line now one and a half. That's a lot of respect to be giving uh, these Golden Bears. Yeah, I, I agree, Rob. What, what do the numbers say here? So Bader Egg has Washington's offensive forty six coming into the year. They weren't great last year, and and you know really the move from Hamdan uh, was was the right call. I don't know if Donovan's the hire I would have made, but you know, we certainly covered that uh, on the on the defensive side for Cal. I mean, they projected forty one. I know a lot of Cal fans still have the vision in their head that they were a you know a very good defense last year. They they really weren't. No, they were no. 35 in Baderang at the end of last year. They particularly struggled against the run, but the pass defense also fell off, and they struggled to get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, Max is right. I mean, the trade off to bring in you know Sermon, who was a, an absolute disaster in his his two chances at calling plays. Uh, Louisville and Mississippi State. I, I just—it's an odd hire. It's an odd move. Certainly, it's still going to be Wilcox's scheme, but you have questions there. I just think with with Weaver gone, you know, there with his relentless motor and cleaning things up, um, you know, things can get really dicey for them, particularly you know in the in the AB gap. If Newton, uh, I mean, the player to watch here because Washington loses a lot on the offensive line, yeah. so like that that um, and, and they were they like. Pro football focused like their line better than I did and Hippolyte did last season. But I do think that they like there's still some questions there. But if Newton is healthy for Washington, I think if if they're smart, if Donovan's smart, like they're gonna bang the ball in that A B gap and, and make Cal prove that they could stop him with what was a you know a defensive line that couldn't stop, you know, up the middle runs and without Evan Weaver there. Without Evan Weaver and, and then without Luke Paquette's not there and um I think yeah. they lost the third one too. So but yeah, it'd be really interesting to see whether or not they can uh but yeah, that, that I'm glad you brought up the offensive line because that, that was the one thing that I was like, well, you know, we, we weren't big on that offensive line. They have to put some pieces together. Let's see if they do. Um, but e- even if that's a weakness, it's weakness on weakness. Um, and, and I do like Newton back there. I think he, I think he's a pretty good back. So, um, all right, I will I will give the points. I will take a favorite here. I'll take Washington. Rob, it sounds like you're doing the same. Yeah, give give me the Huskies here. I I, I think this is like. This is like all the experts that were, I mean, no offense, Brian, like who were like, Texas is a stone cold lock, right? Like this is, everybody is having that reaction to this Washington line, uh, like when it came out. And like, I I feel like we have, the line has moved, like it is, it is overcorrected. Uh, Max, uh, you doing the same? My one favorite this week. Yeah. Bark. 
Huskies. We have we have made a lot of uh, a lot of good picks here, taking the dogs in, in the past. And Max, you've highlighted that um, throughout the the last year and a half here. So um, I, I'm excited that we're taking a favorite. Let's uh, let's start uh, end with our best bets here. Max, uh, you got one or two that you're you're really liking here? I don't know. There's just there's a I don't really want to make a best bet yet, just because there still is so much uncertainty with all these teams. And, and given the current situation. So, I mean, from, I, I just think that, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do a best bet for, for this week, but in the, in the, I mean, in the coming week, sure. But for this week, it's more like a sit back and watch, just take the points and situations that I, I think call for them. And really pretty much every game, every Pac-12 game, except for the Washington game. I, I guess if I had to pick, it would probably be Washington just because I think, the, I think too, way too much cow love, nationally and as as rob said i think i think the market has really overcorrected itself for what might have been a little bit too high of an opening line but now it's it's way too low of a line what about you rob uh yeah i mean i, I like I, I do like the huskies there uh, in that spot in particular i also i i like the beavers you know there I, I i just i have that much faith in jonathan smith and i i think it will be a little messy for the, for the- i like those last four games we talked about uh taking colorado um, taking the under in Oregon, uh, Oregon State, and then Washington. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Hey, uh, la- last thing here, stick with us. We're, Rob and I might try. Uh, well, we won't do it this week because we got a lot going on. But we, we might try um, a live video chat with some people maybe right before uh, like the last half hour before the nightcap starts. So if you want to talk some Pac-12 football, if you're interested in just chatting and just kind of like, you know, asking questions and stuff, uh, we might tinker around with that. So so actually, if you could do us a favor, if you'd be interested in doing that, let us know, because uh, what we don't want to do is do something and then like nobody shows up. But I, I do think it'd be kind of fun to talk Pac-12 football uh, before we get to that nightcap and just kind of go over what's gone on so far uh, with some of our friends. So thanks for listening. Uh, thanks, everybody. We will catch you uh, soon, probably in, in two days, where we're going to release our Oregon and Utah preview. And then, of course, we have our special podcast. We're going to do some stuff on Scheme, which we're really excited about. Max, Rob, thanks for joining the show, and we'll catch everybody next week.